Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fred Hampton and Sweets. It's been a little bit. Real life gets in the way, and also uh, Diablo 4, if I'm being honest. Wasted about two weeks of my life on that, my God. But the world keeps on turning, and, you know, we keep on burning, so it is what it is. We're here for another day. And uh, if things keep going well, we're going to be here. We're really going to be out here. Yeah, well, it's been a, a while. Uh, unfortunately, I'll have to make uh, this episode a quick one, too. I mean, I swear, life is just... Being a litigator, man, is... Look, I don't have that many problems, all things considered. You know, I I go to court, I argue with people, I read. That's my job. Is I, I read and write, and then I argue. But, man, is my schedule unpredictable. I have no idea when I'm going to be busy and when I'm not going to be busy. It is insane. I mean, it's, it's just, I had a whole, uh, basically months where I wasn't doing shit. And that was great because then I could just do all kinds of research and really get into the nitty gritty on details of just things I want to learn about. And, you know, that's when I was exposed to George Jackson and started reading some of his work. I mean, it was great. That part, super awesome. No complaints. Um, then in the past week and a half about, I had like eight cases all at once just blow up. I haven't slept really. I mean, I slept maybe in the last three days, maybe like maybe like three and a half hours, maybe four, maybe four hours. It's probably more like four or five hours, to be honest. But I am running on fumes and caffeine, baby. That is it. But uh, we're going to keep running. And we're going to keep running because uh, there's a lot to talk about. I didn't want to go another week without talking here, uh, especially since the labor force is back, baby. It is back. And, uh, you know, some people will say it never went anywhere. Uh, I would say they were wrong. But that being said, uh, what do we do with the moment that we have now? So just to kind of give people a, a little bit of the uh, background. Uh, if you've been paying attention for the last, I don't know, year and a half, two years, maybe three now, uh, there's a lot of, there have been a lot more strikes and a lot more talk of strikes than I can remember seeing in my lifetime before that. Um, there are groups like the John Deere workers who were striking in, uh, I believe they were in Bessemer, Alabama, but that may have been the coal miners who were striking in Bessemer, Alabama. 
you had the unionization efforts that happened with uh, Chris Smalls and the Amazon Labor Union over in uh, New York and the successful organization of that union. Uh, you currently have talks of the UPS union uh, actually going on strike. And it seems more and more every day that that's going to become more and more likely or that that possibility becomes more and more likely, likely every day. Uh, and there is, of course, the uh, the of course, the the uh, the SGA or the SAG Screen Actors Guild uh, and the uh, the Writers Guild for uh, just network and television writers uh, who are both on strike together. Now, the last time I think the writers and the actors went on strike together was something like back in the time of Marilyn Monroe. Uh, so we're talking possible. I mean, that's that's a long time. It's been a long time since. Uh, so there's a huge influx of people who are uh, there's there's been a huge sort of, uh, I guess, like uh, influx of labor consciousness. I think there's been a huge inf- or a huge increase in the amount of people who are sympathetic to labor who recognize themselves as laborers and who are willing to flex their power as laborers by going on strike and by withholding their work. Uh, Now, why is that? Uh, One, well, I mean, obviously, capitalism is crazy, right? Uh, (laughs) The tendency is that someone who is the owner and who owns the means of production is constantly going to try to retain more money for themselves and pay you less. Uh, that's not like a a moral failing of the individuals involved in it. It's not even like, oh, the system would be better if everyone wasn't an asshole. It is a tendency of the system itself. The economic system prioritizes profit over everything. And if you're at the top, the way that you make most of your profit, or if you're you know a Marxist, profit is really created by the difference between the exploitation of the labor value and the uh, final sort of value and price of the commodity, the thing that's produced, right? So uh, part of why we're seeing just this huge sort of uh, re uh, reanimation of the labor force is because, well, capitalism's getting really bad. I don't know if you guys have seen it out there, but uh, the earth is getting hot as fuck. This motherfucker is hot. And then it'll be hailing and shit. The externalities of, uh, you know, oil companies and, and, and capitalists who are just literally destroying the earth as a form of short term quarterly profits or short term profits. It's it's so blatant now that it's hard for your average Joe to not notice. So that's a big part. The other part is um, people are struggling to get by the exploitation of the individual laborer and the isolation and alienation of laborers from their actual, uh, what they actually produce is, you know, possibly, I would be willing to say it's at all time highs right now. I mean, uh, wages are pretty much stagnant. They have been for quite some time. The minimum wage hasn't changed in something like 20 years or 15 years, uh, despite the fact that inflation is still happening. Prices have gone up, people can't afford homes. And if you can't afford a place to live, uh, that's a fucking problem with your system, right? I mean, it's not that we're not working. 
shit, most of us are working more than ever. I mean, the productivity of workers in this country has gone up by something like 65% since, I don't know, 50 or 60 years, meaning that for the same amount of hours of work, uh, even though we're working more hours too, but for the same amount of hours of work, someone back in you know the 1950s and 60s, you're doing 160% of the work that they, that they were doing. Um, yet your pay is less. So that's why a lot of the interest in, in, in labor unions is kind of coming back up because one of the only ways that you have leverage to increase your wages, to actually fight capitalism and to ensure that you have a living wage, ensure that you can make enough to eat, sleep, uh, somewhere safe, uh, you know, raise a family or just, you know, like fuck around and have fun. I mean, the only way you can do that is by leveraging your labor against the capitalist class. Uh, that's really the only value you have. And, and I don't mean like your value as a person, because obviously I love you, right? Like you're great. You're so great. Pat yourself on the back. You're great. But the value in terms of the economic system, right? Uh, that is where profit is made is typically from all of our labor. And uh, one of the things that I think is becoming existential and the last main reason why I think labor unions and, and just labor consciousness and class consciousness is so uh, on the rise right now is because we, we are starting to see sort of the very end stages of this, of capitalism. Uh, in that the goal for a capitalist for owning the means of production is purely to make profit. It is not to make your life as a laborer better. It just, it just isn't. There's no incentive to do that, really, right? Now, you can say, you know, some free market person will come in here and be like, well, technically, buy it. If there's two companies that are making the same product and, you know, one People like working for one capitalist more than the other because that capitalist treats them better than the market will reward them. But that's no suck my dick. No offense. But if the goal is to make something as cheap as possible and to under outprice or to, uh, you know, create something that's a similar product or a similar commodity at a lesser price for a market, well, then eventually those extra sort of perks that you get as a worker go away. They're not competitive. And they're only going to be competitive in certain industries, right? Um, stuff like the industry that I'm in. You know, you hear law firms and stuff talk all the time about their diversity program and their their paid leave and all this stuff. Well, that's that's all well and good for, you know, and those are things that everyone should have. But at the end of the day, uh, if those things start costing too much money and a capitalist can get away with not providing them, then the incentives of the system are that they will do so. There's no incentive to just being a nice guy. Uh, and one of the reasons I think we're, we're really feeling this labor consciousness today is, uh, like I was saying, you're seeing the end stages of it. And what do I mean by that? Well, particularly, I mean AI. Uh, the rise of things like chat GPT. Now, this is, you see what a lot of the capitalist class is doing right now, right? They are 
look, they're kind of in a pickle in some ways, right? Now, everyone knows that they control, they have way more power than you. They have way more control over our entire society than you as an individual uh, because they have money and means to do that. But the one thing that they need still currently, the one thing that that stopped them from taking 100% of all the profit, from taking everything, is uh, they still rely on our labor, right? Look, McDonald's can underpay people as much as it wants. Eventually, they still needed people to run the cashiers, and they still needed people to flip the burgers. Same with Walmart. Same with everywhere. Everywhere that requires your skills and your labor, uh, they would love to not have to pay you. They would love to get all of the benefit to get all of the pay that they're paying you right now. They think about that $7.25 they pay you for a 12-hour shift at McDonald's, and they think, I could have that extra fucking $70 in my pocket. I could have it right now. That's the game, right? That's how the system works. And they're getting close to completely eliminating the need for labor. Now, what's that going to mean? Well, it's going to mean, you you see it happening everywhere, right? You see uh, how McDonald's is replacing cashiers with digital screens, so you order the things yourself. Uh, Self-checkout lines at the supermarket. Elon Musk and the likes are all working on driving uh, self-driving cars. Why is that? Well, Uber is probably really interested in that. Uber probably doesn't want to share any of the fucking pay with the workers, right? If they can just have an automatic car pick you up at point A and go to point B, then Uber gets 100% of the profit. Same with truck driving, right? You get a fucking, uh, an entire fleet of self-driving trucks, uh uh-oh, that's millions of jobs just gone away, and you get to keep even more of the profits as a capitalist. And the same thing is now uh, happening, not just with jobs like, uh, you know, self-driving cars, more of the jobs that you would think of as uh, skills jobs, jobs where you're more directly using your your labor as opposed to, um, uh, well, I I guess what you would traditionally call blue collar jobs, right? Uh, uh, Driving, uh, retail, the likes. those jobs are getting replaced by AI and by technology, sure, but they're coming also for the creative arts. They're coming also for the uh, writers. They're coming for actors. And one of the big things that set off the strike for the uh, Writers Guild and for the Acting Guild is they want to use AI to be able to replace the actors and the writers. And I'm not kidding. I mean, one of the things that they wanted to do with this writer strike is uh, these studios wanted to use ChatGPT and the like to write, uh, you know, episodes of Law and Order, which typically to write an episode of Law and Order or something like that, you can have a single writer. It happens sometimes, but typically for big sort of serialized shows like this, you have a room full of writers. And again, we're not talking that many writers. We're talking like 15 people max, right? That's a big writer's room. Uh, But they're working on episodes of Law and Order. 
they're writing new scenarios, they're figuring things out, they're, they're putting that together, right? They're using their labor to create something that becomes a television show and that the capitalist class makes money off of. Uh, so they have to be paid. But now, thanks to things like ChatGPT, you can just ask ChatGPT to write you an episode of Law & Order. Now it's gonna be a little wonky. There'll be some things that need help, but then instead of hiring those 15 writers that would usually write the script, you hire the one person who's a script editor who goes through the draft that ChatGPT Chat made and, uh, you know, they edit it to be something that can get, go on TV. And presto, there you go. Uh, now, some of you may think, uh, no one here because you guys are fucking cool, but someone listening to this uh, who has the potential to be cool maybe, but is still not sure, doesn't doesn't know how some of these things work. You, you, they may be thinking, okay, well, Bide, I mean, Joe, <laughs> Joe, um, uh, let's say that I am running a TV show. What's wrong with actually not paying those writers money? What's wrong with using ChatGPT to make an episode if you get a similar product and then using the one uh, script editor to edit it to make it uh, something that you can actually put on TV? Isn't Jobs go away all the time. And with technology, things just change. Well, here's a big difference with things like ChatGPT and AI is that uh, the models that they use to come up with scripts are based on all of the labor that's been done by humans in writing those scripts. So an AI is basically taking all of the different scripts that are in its database that have been written for uh, an episode of Law and Order, and it's copying, it's basically copying that work and rejumbling it, making up something that it looks like it's new, but it's really not. It's absolutely pulling from the creative works entirely, jumbling it up and presto. So basically, you're making more money off of the, the inputs from the laborers and the writers who actually wrote the original scripts, uh, you're basically, it's, it's, it's not quite plagiarism, but you're getting fucking close, right? It is not creating something new. And you could say, well, doesn't everyone do that? Don't you, if you're a new writer in Law and Order, have to learn the structure and then come up with scenarios? Yes, but there's a huge difference between creating the actual new scenarios understanding the structure of how a story is told and going with that and straight up ripping the, the plot points, the beats. Uh, now I'm not saying that chat GPT has no, or, or some to say I has no place in, in a world in the future. I'm just saying that for all of the benefits of new technology to for, I'm saying this, for all the benefits of that kind of new technology to go to the capitalists without some kind of acknowledgement and payment that the technology can only exist and come up with what it can due to the labor of the workers before it, then we're in a fucking pickle, right? That has to be resolved. And that is why the Writers Guild 
is actually one of the big reasons why they are. Um, uh oh, oh, sorry, my computer just uh, twenty minutes. Twenty minutes just happened. My screen went blank. I thought we crashed, but that is why uh, the Writers Guild is is striking. That's a big reason why, uh, and a big reason why the actors are striking right now. Very similar. Now, here's the crazy part. Here's what's wild about this shit, right? So the actors, I know everyone thinks of actors, they think, oh, they're rich or spoiled or whatever. Most actors are making basically below minimum wage, right? I, I, I have some experience with acting. I used to do the theater, um, but I have friends who act. They've been in shows that you'd think of, you know, they've been in shit like uh, Better Call Saul, and they have all these big speaking roles and everything. Uh, they are paycheck to paycheck and then couch surfing, okay? They are struggling already. So they're already underpaid. They don't get very much in their residuals. Uh, and now these motherfuckers in this in these studios, man, this just shows you the, like how heartless the system of capitalism itself is, right? These motherfuckers want to make these actors sign contracts where you work for a day, uh, you get paid for a day. <laughs> this is so fucked up, right? So you get paid for a day's work. Maybe you get like 200 bucks. If it's a cool gig, cool. You got $500 for that Starbucks commercial you did. Congratulations. But here's what the studios actually want to do. They want to be able to take a full scan of your person and your image run that into some AI and some CGI shit. And then for th forever to basically have the rights to your face, your body, your identity, to just put you in the background of all kind of shit, right? To actually like, they, they have the rights to your image and your person. And guess what they're paying you for? Oh, that one day's work. How, how nuts is that? That they think that they can pay you for one day, and then suddenly, boom, uh, we own your rights forever. Fuck you. We can put you in any show. We can put you in any, any of our projects without pay forever. So some of you who may be a little more familiar with, with uh, just the American legal system know that, hey, there's, there's something called copyright protections, Right. And there's something called trademarks. And regardless of what you think about them, should they be opened up more? Probably, especially when we're talking about pharmaceuticals and the like. Uh, there's definitely a need for intellectual property reform. But uh, if you create a song. And it's your song and someone steals it, they have to pay you. So <laughs> what they're trying to do here is take your literally take your fucking image and put you, I don't know, make you make you the next Ch Chewbacca or some shit or the next motherfucker in Star Wars or whatever they make, whatever Disney makes, right? Uh, and they just get to use your image forever. It's, it's literally Black Mirror. It's literally the episode of Black Mirror in this season where, you know, the Joan is awful episode, which we're still going to talk about more at some point. But that's, that's literally what they're going to do. That's what they're trying to do. It's, um, it's crazy. Right. So this is why you're starting to see a lot more interest in strikes, a lot more people who are actually striking. It's out of necessity here. 
right? Uh, there was an unnamed uh, Hollywood executive who, when the Writers Guild started going on strike, uh, said to someone, confessed to someone, like, look, we're going to try to wait this out. And the whole point of this is that, uh, one, we're not going to concede that we can use ChatGPT and get rid of their labor. And we're not going to give them residuals for stuff that we use ChatGPT on, because that's ridiculous. They say from their fucking $300 million mansions and shit. It's insane. But they're saying this. Uh, what, you know, one of the executives, or a couple of them, I can't remember exactly who. I, th I think they were anonymous. But uh, it was reported that their whole strategy is to wait out the strikers, <coughs> wait until they run out of money, wait until they lose their homes, until they go homeless. They said this. Uh, they can't feed their families. And then they'll have to come back out of necessity because they'll be destitute. So you either starve or you let me steal your work. Uh, ludicrous. Ron Perlman had a, a, an, an incredible uh, response to it when he basically says, hey, motherfucker, there's a lot of ways to lose a house. And I got to say, I'm on that same energy. Fuck that. If, 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 if someone is, is trying to take your livelihood, uh, and there's gotta be a limit, there's gotta be a limit. And sometimes, you know, when Ron Perlman is talking about, sometimes it's karma. We know where you live when you're making 37 million, things are about to get heated. And frankly, uh, as we get closer and closer to something that becomes more and more existential, like the crisis of all labor being replaced uh without without us having the pay from it right we can replace labor but we better get the full amount of the labor right there better be no there better be pay raises along with the leisure time that would be fine that's what that's what the progress of a society is supposed to bring when you think about it right the ideal situation for a lot of people would basically be um, Star Trek, right? We've gotten to a point to where we have have so many labor-saving devices and things are so able to, I don't know, we, we've progressed to such a place to where you don't have to work if you don't want to. Your, your housing does not have to, uh, you just get your house, you can live just about like anywhere. Uh, and you just pursue your passions. Uh, you pursue the things that you want to know more about. And that's what labor-saving devices should really be about. But instead, uh, capitalism, the people who own the means of production, are using them to uh, just gain as much wealth as possible while it's literally destroying both the earth and the very markets which they rely upon. Uh, you know, I forget, I forget if it was Marx or who, but they talk about the death spiral of capitalism. Uh, why is there so much labor movement right now? Because it's so easy to see that death spiral happening. You know, when, when you can solve homelessness for something like $20 billion and you see some fucking stupid fuck like Elon Musk buying up Twitter for $40 billion, and homelessness in the United States, I should say, right? 
but you see Elon Musk buy up Twitter for $40 billion and just burn it to the ground, uh, yeah, people are going to be a lot more labor conscious. So that's kind of the background but the, of, of why, why we're seeing more uh, labor consciousness, why people are going on strike more. The, the end stages feel like they're coming. And it's if we do not fight back at this time, then things could get very hairy for us. It can be very, very difficult. Uh, if our labor is completely replaced, then not only are we in trouble, I mean, everything's in trouble at that point. Because if you don't have anyone who has labor, then our one means of actually uh, getting any kind of payments, making any money, participating in the market at all, it's gone. So that will eventually hurt capitalists, but uh, that's why you see so much labor consciousness right now. That being said, the point of this episode, the point of this room, is really to discuss something that you've heard a little bit about in the ether out there. It's 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 been in the lexicon now for at least, uh, you know, I don't know, the last three years. Really kicked off during COVID, I think, when the um, the air stewards, uh, the stewardstress, I don't know how you call them, air, airline people uh, who, what are they called? Flight attendants. Yeah, the flight attendants um, union. I think the the president of the flight attendants union said something about uh, general strike. I don't know, but that's what we're talking about: the general strike, the the ah hallelujah, the 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 creme de la creme, the the dream uh, of so many people here, the wet dream of some too. Let's be honest, because uh, it sounds good. But for those again who who maybe have not aren't as familiar with the term or the concept basically goes like this, right? The general strike is, you know, typically when you have a strike, when you have a union or laborers go on strike, they are withholding their labor with the intent to deprive the employer of the benefit of that labor. So thereby hurting the employer's profits and and, and other benefits that they receive from your labor. And since these employers are constantly relying on our labor to make their money, well, it forces them to the negotiating table. So it's a it's a huge form of leverage. Um, now, it's it would be better if we can actually come to the table on more equal footing. I think one of the biggest disadvantages of a strike is that uh, it's capital, right? We, as laborers, depend on our labor to make money. If we're not working, we're not getting paid. Uh, A capitalist may depend on our work to make money, but since they've been doing all this rent-seeking shit, they have a lot more money. They can wait us out. They can wait us out for a while, money-wise. So we're always at a little bit of a disadvantage, but striking is still one of the best tools that we have. So we work with the tools that we got, right? So the general strike is instead of a strike happening with a particular union or a particular industry or uh, happening to affect a particular workplace, it is all laborers or as many as you can get all withholding, (coughs) excuse me, all withholding labor 
at the same time. So it is basically Labor Day for as long as it takes to 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 get something back, to force really big economic changes, right? Um, now, why do people want a general strike so bad? Well, there's let's talk about the value and the utility of a strike for a bit, right? So the, the value and the utility of a strike, the effectiveness of it rises in proportion to uh, the number of participants involved, uh, because that both raises the media attention. And if there are more participants who are workers, uh, that means that you're depriving more of your labor from the capitalists. So uh, strikes can be very effective if you have big unions, uh, because that's a lot of labor to lose out on. And you can really shut down an operation. Uh, strikes are also more effective when there's concentration in the coordination of them. So let's say you have an Amazon warehouse and an Amazon sort of, I don't know, like, uh, uh, let's say the uh, people who are using like the, the let's say Amazon uses, a, let's just say that there's a, a labor union that runs the servers for Amazon. They're in charge of all of the, uh, you know, the website functionality and yada, yada, yada. Now, if you have coordination between the tech workers of Amazon and the floor workers, the warehouse workers, you can create a situation where you both go on strike. Amazon, while they may be able to deal with one of you going on strike, maybe if the, you know, the floor workers go on strike, then Amazon can get some scabs in, can get some people to, to come in and run the forklifts or whatever. If the tech people go on strike, maybe they can contract out to a company or something. But if both of you go on strike together, if you're coordinated in your action, Amazon's operations are going to have a harder time putting out all those fires. The more coordinated your strikes are, uh, well, the, the more fires the capitalist has to put out, the more shit they have to deal with. That's tough. That puts pressure on them, forces them to the table. Uh, obviously, the amount of loss that can be created by a strike is going to increase the, uh, the utility of it. And the longer that workers can strike and survive, uh, the longer they can sustain that strike, the more loss, the more harm they're going to cause for the capitalists, right? So a general strike, you may notice, has a lot of these advantages. Uh, but you can push it a little further, right? You could coordinate across an entire sector, for example, say restaurant workers. If you're all getting fucked the same way, for example, in the way that waiters and waitresses and all the like are completely dependent on tips in order to make any money at all, right? The, the salaries, the, the, the minimum wage for a restaurant like waiter is, is like $2.50 or $3 an hour. It's a joke. You are completely relying on tips. But if all the restaurant workers are across restaurants, 
are all striking at the same time, well, suddenly, there needs to be a legislative or some kind of fire put out immediately across the industry, which is going to lead to raising of the wage of all restaurant workers across that entire industry via, uh, I don't know, some kind of law that gets passed or you, you basically can shut down entire sectors, right? Uh, another big advantage is of a general strike would be that you have the opportunity to really demonstrate broad class solidarity. Uh, look, they don't want to tell you this, but I'll tell you, uh, these capitalists, they, they get on their yachts, they chill. And it's not just these individuals, right? It's the system. I hate, like, it's not even worth really to me calling out how evil, you know, someone like Jeff Bezos can be just because that's, yeah, the system is creating the evil, right? That like, it's, it's the system. It, it poisons people. It makes them into fucking Elon Musk, right? If they were good, by the time they're billionaires and they're insulated and everything, they're just, it's, they're barely human a lot of the times, right? It's, it's, it's rare, rare, rare to find anyone who has any kind of like sympathy or empathy or anything. I mean, it's a, it's a nature of the system, but with as powerful as they are, and they are, they, you know, they run politics, they, they all own the media. Uh, they put out whatever messages they want. They make laws, yada, yada. As powerful as they are, Here's a secret. They are fucking terrified of you. And I mean that. They are terrified. Terrified. Because as soon as that mask slips, as soon as they see that there's some coordination, they shit themselves. As they should. Because no amount of, really, uh, look, if you... Uh, just just think, a bunch of people, you're walking down the street, and maybe you see someone you don't like, or someone you know doesn't like you, and they pass you, and you're like, yeah, beat his ass, whatever. Imagine seeing millions of motherfuckers <laughs> all together wearing the same outfit, or whatever, right? <laughs> Doing the same shit, um, walking right by you. That's That's pressure. That's some pressure, okay? That is, uh, and that terrifies them. They know the stories. They've seen the coups. They've seen all the kind of shit where, uh, you know, kings get their heads chopped off. They see when Ron Perlman says, you know, there's a lot of ways to lose a house. Uh, you got millions of people saying that? The one thing that a capitalist wants to protect even more than their uh their wealth is their life their livelihood and um look a lot of them are kind of you know like I, I, they, you saw elon musk back out of a fight with fucking mark zuckerberg he's not exactly the 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 pinnacle of brave i mean he literally went and said oh my mom says i can't fight you like what the dude you're like 57 what the fuck are you talking about like no you can you can do whatever you want if you're gonna fight but nope doesn't want to do it that's how it goes but 
they're scared of you, right? So a general strike has this ability to really put the fear of God in these people. I think so. Um, and you can affect multiple industries across multiple locations. You can concentrate a general strike in one location. Let's say, uh, and this is this is typically in the history of general strikes, which we'll get into briefly. Uh, this is typically what has happened. You've typically had like a city or a, 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 a certain geographic location where one sector of workers like coal miners or the like start striking and everybody who is under similar conditions has solidarity and they start striking as well. That could create some real change in communities uh, pretty quickly, actually. Uh, in the same way that, uh, oh God, I was just thinking of it. It slipped my mind, I'll come back. But uh, that that's another big advantage of a general strike, right? Uh, but m most of you already know what the advantages of a general strike could be. Uh, the other thing though to note is that uh, general strikes do have some disadvantages, right? They are not as concentrated as a strike for a particular industry or a strike for a particular uh, uh, workplace. And the goals that they aim to achieve, therefore, um, I guess because they're not as concentrated, it can be easier for the capitalist class to kind of uh, sometimes wait out the challenges. Uh, remember the Amazon example, right? The, the Amazon example, if you have two different union sectors of two different work groups in Amazon, both striking at the same time, that Amazon is under a lot of pressure. They have to come to the table with something. They're going to have to make concessions. They got to figure something out. Uh, if you have two Amazon, uh, I don't know, if you have Amazon workers in uh, Kentucky, or not even Amazon workers, let's say you have people see the strike going on in the union at Amazon uh, and see that the warehouse workers are striking and they, you know, they're inspired and someone in Kentucky, a bunch of, uh, I don't know, like Uber drivers and stuff start striking. Uh, that's not going to, unless it's big and coordinated enough, it won't have the widespread political effect that you're looking for, right? So that that's one of the coordination problems with the general strike. You need the, uh, there needs to be, it's hard to make the targeted action more felt. Uh and then, you know, the last thing with the general strike is it's, it's, it's just harder to sustain in every way, right? A lot of strikes, uh, you could be out for months. You can be uh, out for a long time. Uh, they need funding. They need food. They need people who can help pay the rent. They need all of that. A general strike is difficult without having that kind of infrastructure there, Right. If we don't have a funding organization that's very well funded and that's very well kind of put together to sustain people who are on a general strike, then we could be in trouble. Uh, they won't be able to sustain it for that long. If we don't have a, uh, I mean, that's that's basically one of the big disadvantages of a general strike, right? Um, and again, that's why when we look at the history of general strikes, well, one, I'll be honest, uh, at least from what I can find, there's not a large list of examples of them happening. Uh, they're hard. They're hard to pull off because of those reasons. 
And when I have found examples of general strikes, um, they seem, seem to be more located in a, like I said, a geographic area or something else. But why does the idea still matter? And why could this time be different? Well, for one thing, uh, the coordination problems of a general strike are easier to handle in today's day and age. In an age where people can be better connected through the internet, through phones, through uh, just class, class consciousness, uh, and when the societal conditions are such to where laborers across the board are being uh, exploited more than they've been in a long, long, long time, right? Definitely in the history of like any modern labor movements. Uh, that kind of class consciousness and that kind of ability to connect with strangers and to feel that kind of solidarity is greater now than I would argue it's ever been. So a lot of those coordination problems that have kind of plagued past general strikes, we can get over those humps. I think we can. Uh, and when the energy is such to where people are already striking, people are already trying to withhold labor, and the goal of the capitalist class right now is the same as it's always been, to exploit uh, our labor and to isolate us from one another, um, to make us all independent contractors, to, you know, companies like Uber making just tons of, of, of money from all these individual drivers who have no way to really coordinate with each other. Uh, I think now is the time to really start exploring some of these general strike actions more. Uh, so how do you do it? And that's the last thing I will talk about is how do I think we should do it? Step by step, how can we actually get to a general strike? Well, first, let's examine again the problems with the general strike. Coordination, uh, concentration, and class consciousness. Uh, building solidarity across multiple different industries. Well, one, uh, how do you build the actual efforts for coordination? Well, first and foremost, you support ongoing strikes. And by support ongoing strikes, I don't mean just cheer for them. Uh, we should be picketing with the WGA and the... Uh, S, uh, the Screen Actors Guild and the 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 uh, UPS, if they start picketing, we should be picketing with them. Why? Uh, one, we're, we need to build these networks. We need to show class solidarity whenever and wherever we can. Whenever uh, the teachers are striking, whenever a union is striking, that is us striking as well. Uh that's, we need to understand that, hmm, it's the best way to put this. Uh, we are the ones that have to build the networks, right? And I know a lot of you here probably, I mean, I, I don't, I, I doubt myself all the time. 
I don't know if I can, I don't know if anything I say is really worth listening to. I don't know if I really know enough. I know there are people much more informed than I am. I know there are people who uh, have a lot more experience. I, I don't know how to start it sometimes, but I know that I'm not as stupid as some of these fucking capitalist motherfuckers. <laughs> as far as like understanding where people are at, uh, I know I'm not as alienated from the experience of what it's like to be exploited. And none of you are either. None of you are so isolated or so uh, you have the ability to make huge contributions. And we should start, since we're already building networks on here, on Colin, fuck it. Let's go to pickets. Let's build networks with people. Let's see who's there. If some of you all live in the same area, let's go to one together. Let's just get out, show support, and be there. Because, again, to get the general strike going, we need that kind of coordination. We need to understand that we are a web all connected to one another, right? And that's a big part. And if you need a carpool, if you need something like that, that's these are the little things that we can do. Um, you know, our history, capitalist history in particular, has a way of just emphasizing uh, history or, or summarizing history as the efforts of a few great men. Oh, Alexander the Great really did all the shit. Bitch, he didn't do it without a motherfucking army, did he? The soldiers win the battles. The, the, the civil rights movement's the same. It's great. Look, I have all the respect for Malcolm X in particular, for MLK, for all these leaders. For, for, but, but, but some of the people that you don't even fucking really hear about are soldiers in that shit. And you never know who you're going to be. The Fannie Lou Hammers, and you hear about her, but you don't even hear about people. There are so many unnamed people that we don't even know who were crucial in making that shit happen, in actually making change, because they hit the ground. We need to be the ones who are hitting the ground, who are in the dirt, right? We need to do some dirt. Uh, and then there are people who your, your efforts will never even be really recognized. They maybe will never be. I mean, like, look at Bayard Rustin, right? The time, uh, absolutely crucial figure in the civil rights movement, did not get any sort of real play or people, I mean, people knew of him in the movement, but was kind of hidden from history because he was a gay dude and, you know, a gay black dude back in that time. Uh, good luck. Shit. Good luck today. Right. But back in that time, even more so, but he didn't stop. You know, he didn't stop or, or, or admit defeat or something. He just fucking kept hitting the ground. And I don't think we'd be in the position that we're at at all. Uh, without those kinds of efforts. So uh, that's number one. Start getting involved with strikes and supporting them as they're already happening. I'm putting a, uh, another uh, a, a link here, and this is uh, only for the strike funds, but this is a Google Doc for the various strike funds too that are going to the, uh, the writers and the actors as soon as we get one for the UPS or everything, uh, we should get involved with that too. Um, but if you can't 
physically go, if you can spare money for strike funds, look, I, a lot of people here gave money to Bernie. I gave money to Bernie. I think our money's going farther if we give it directly to strike funds. And that is the next big step of how do we get a general strike? We need to focus heavily on creating the infrastructure necessary to sustain and support a general strike. So what does that mean? That means coming up, and again, this is something that the coordination with other unions and other workers is actually gonna help us with, but coming up with a general strike fund, coming up with actual infrastructure, you know, the kinds of stuff that you see on this Google doc, the, uh, you can donate to getting groceries for people on the picket line. You can donate to, uh, you know, help, uh, uh, specific, uh, food banks and the like. Uh, I think there's one for like housing here. There's coordination for individual picket line supports. We need a, we need to start creating basically a fund, I believe, uh, that is meant to support all workers. <laughs> now that sounds like a big task, but if we could crowdfund for Bernie, if we can get that same shit going, I know that there are enough socialists and the like and people who give a fuck who know enough about finance and the like too that we can find a way to, to sustain it. It just is what it is. We, we will always have the advantage of numbers. And since we have the advantage of numbers, we have the advantage of unleashing more human creativity, more human ability, more human exceptionalism. Because we got more, motherfucker. We got more people. Like Elon Musk is not a genius or any of this shit. And if he is some kind of genius in some sector or whatever, great. I'll take a hundred of us. Any fucking day I'd take a hundred of us. You know, there's a time when Jeff Bezos... I think is, is, is worth more or made more in a year. I forget which it is, but let's just say he's worth more, but he was worth more than the entire gross domestic product of Jamaica. Jeff Bezos was, uh, look, man, I'll take every Jamaican any day over one fucking Jeff Bezos. Are you fucking kidding me over Jeff Bezos? The numbers are always going to mean that we have the talent. We do. Uh, some of you may not realize how talented you are. And I don't want to pretend like I'm like, I sound like a proud father. I'm, I'm proud of you kids. No, <laughs> I'm proud of you. You make me proud. But th really think you, you, you're talented. You don't, you may not realize it, but I've seen the way you guys can coordinate with each other on here. I see the way you talk to each other. You're knowledgeable about things. You challenge each other. You learn. You're connected in different ways to your just environments. Like you're not, we have the numbers. We can, we can, we can absolutely work to put together this general strike fund. And some of you may know things um, like uh, I've, the rumor is, or, I can't find anything specifically uh, confirming this, but I know that, uh, you know, everyone's favorite uh, Seattle uh, city Congress member uh, or city council member, uh, Shama Sawant, is, was launching a, a, uh, 
an organization called Workers Strike Back. And I believe the plan was that they were trying to put together an entire, like basically go with a public uh, workers general strike fund. Uh, that's something we should start. If they have that, then great. We should be coordinating. We should be trying to get that together. Because again, how one of the things that gives a strike real power is how long can you sustain it? We need infrastructure for that. So that's another thing we can do. And again, you know, like, uh, this is something that's happening in steps. So uh, just to clarify, how do we actually get to a general strike? One is supporting ongoing strikes and making the networks with those unions, with those workers, building that out, connection points. That's, that's a necessary part, right? We need general class consciousness and solidarity to make a general strike work. Two is we got to focus on creating the infrastructure for a general strike. That means if it means putting together a general fund group, then we do that. If it means finding out ways to making an organization where the whole point of the organization is to just go out and support other strikes and other workers, that's a great idea too. But we need that as well. So the infrastructure. Number three, and this one seems pretty obvious, but I'll say it anyways. Uh, if you're union eligible, start trying to unionize your workplace. If you are in a profession where you can't unionize, start, you know, the next homework assignment is see if you can figure out, not necessarily you have to figure it out all on your own, but, you know, say there's an independent contractor problem, something like Uber, and you can't unionize because you're independent contractors. Why don't we, why don't we do some research about how have independent contractors, have they ever successfully unionized? Have they ever successfully put something together? Have they ever gone from that place where they were isolated and independent contractors into a successful labor movement? If so, we need to we need to study that. Like the the goal here, and again, why why I say you know why should we be unionizing workplaces here? Well, again, we're trying to concentrate our power and use what leverage we have. The leverage that most of us here have, because I don't think any of us are multi-million dollar landlords. And if you are, God bless you. Uh, but the, the leverage we have is our work. I think we have to start understanding and really, especially at this time, when we're facing a uh, you know potential AI and end of history, end of end, end, end stage capitalism, where the labor is about to be replaced, motherfucker, we better use this last bit of power while we have it. Like this is, I, I don't know how y'all feel about just like generally, I don't know. I, I know it's easy to feel like despair or, uh, you know, like, like there's nothing you can do, but, um, you, first of all, fuck these motherfuckers. That's number one. First of all, fuck them, right? If, if nothing else, I'm going to make it as difficult. I want them to feel every bit of anguish and every bit of pain 
as they are burning the earth. I want it to hurt them. I want it to feel bad for them. So that's number one. But, you know, like the real thing here is that, uh, look, the propaganda and the, 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 the circumstances here are, you don't need to change every bit of all the world all on your own. And we were never expected to, nor should we have ever expected we have to do that. This is not great man theory of history. This is understanding leverage. Look, if we don't have very much leverage, then we use the leverage that we have, which is our labor. And that's it. So we need to unionize our workplaces and we need to make sure other people understand that, um, look, our, we, there's no real other way out of this. <laughs> as far as I can tell, I don't see it. I just don't see another way out of it. I mean, fucking Batman's not coming to save us because he he's a billionaire. <laughs> you know, he's 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 going to he's Elon Musk, right? He's going to walk around in a suit and punch black people and and put them in jail. That's what he's going to do. Like that it, it just is what it is, right? Like it's 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 uh th- there's no the uh, you know, any kind of negotiation or any kind of situation where things are really shitty, right? In any situation really in life, the first thing, if you want to change something or you want to figure something out, the first thing you got to do is understand what you can do, where you do have leverage. If you're on a ship in the sea, listing away, and you're you're on, you know, like a survival raft, you got to figure out what do you have around you that can maybe collect water because you're going to need the water. Um, in this situation, what we have is our labor. What we have is our political knowledge. What we have is uh, a passion to, to want things to get better. Uh, and we have each other. We need to start having conversations with people in our workplaces to the extent that we're there, to the extent that we're encountering trouble with Again, like building up those workplaces because of our status as an independent contractor or otherwise, we need to start figuring out how those things, if they've been successful in the past, how, and if they haven't, what can we do now that's different to get us there? So that's a lot. I can't believe I've been talking for an hour already. I'm supposed to be out of here. I got to go back to work, ironically, but... How do we actually get to a general strike? One, we support ongoing strikes and build connections in our networks there. Two, we focus on creating a general infrastructure program uh, or, or, or a general strike infrastructure, things that can support and sustain a general strike in the same way that other, uh, uh, other strikes can be supported, the infrastructure that supports other strikes. And just a little side. If you're thinking, well, how do we do that? Well, same same shit as before, right? Let's look at what j- successful strikes and successful unions are doing, how they support it, and then see if we can scale that up. And if we can't scale it up, try to identify why that is. How can we create something that's scalable here? It's probably going to be a lot of small dollar donations. It's probably going to require some kind of campaign 
of some kind, if we could get Cornell West or something, this is where it might be useful, right? If we can get Cornell West or someone, any kind of candidate that is running, and I hate to take it to electoralism, but hear me out with this. One of the things that was that Bernie was really criticized for was whenever he dropped out of the race uh, the second time, he had all this campaign money still left. He had all these organ these workers and these 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 volunteers who he'd organized to become a part of his campaign. And instead of using those resources and those people and those networks to spin the Bernie campaign into some kind of pro-labor organization that would just continue on maintaining that infrastructure, he just he said, no, I'm done. But where, I wonder, you know, I don't think the whole world would have changed, but I can't help but wonder what kind of position would we be in if he maintained that infrastructure and spun it into something like what Shama Sawant is trying to do or seems to be trying to do with creating like a workers strike general fund or a general worker support organization. I think I would have kept up my monthly payments with it, Right. I think I would still be donating to it today. And that is, that's one of the reasons, again, why we got to focus on the creation of general strike infrastructure, the things to support a general strike. And some of this is going to be, you know, some of this can happen really quickly. Some of it will take a while, but the point is to do the damn thing, right? That's, that's the thing to start realizing that this might be the last fight we have here. <laughs> like, I'm being real with it. It, it. This might be it, baby. It might be it. Um, and then the last thing, okay, and this one's a no-brainer. If you're union eligible, try to unionize your workplace. Really try to start building up. The more unions we have, the more unions we have to coordinate with each other. I think, in reality, a general strike is most likely going to work as a... Um, like a little United Nations made up of a bunch of unions, right? Like it is, it is probably not going to be something that we just all decide one day we're not going to work. Maybe we could do that. I think that's cool. But uh, the things I worry about from the law side are, uh, you know, your isolation at work is one of the things that gives it, that makes it very easy for capitalists and your bosses to fire you, to replace you, to do whatever. And if it's, you know, we have a general strike and maybe 2 million of us all don't go to work for a day or even a week. Uh, if we're not all concentrated in the same city or in the same industry, I think 2 million people are probably going to get fired. <laughs> and I think that they will be able to recover quickly. Uh, they being the capitalists, uh, so unionize your workplace and then try to get that union to coordinate with other unions. Co-ops are another great option too, right? But, uh, you know, as, as I'm looking at the chat for probably the first time in a while now, I just, I've been in a fucking daze, but you know, when Lysol says like labor force is very tight right now, yeah, that's an advantage for us. And it's exactly why they're loosening child labor laws. 
because that's really that's all you need to know about about capitalism and capital here, right? Is is they would rather instead of paying you a living wage when they can afford it too, mind you, they can absolutely afford most of these industries. They can actually afford, and if they can't afford, then we could work something out, right? <laughs> like, but I think what's so egregious is you have these you know Hollywood execs and everything who are taking home hundreds of millions or who are worth hundreds of millions and talk about how they can't pay an actor a fair price for their name, image, and likeness for the rest of time. They would rather, instead of paying you to be able to keep your house, they'd rather restrict or or loosen child labor laws and let kids work. By the way, there was a, uh, there've been a couple of horrific accidents, including fatalities of children in Minnesota and some other uh, some of these other states where they're loosening child labor laws, children are dying again in fucking industrial factories for money. Not even that much money. It's one, it's not even that much fucking money. That's what's so fucking crazy about it. But that's capitalism. It's a systemic issue. And the last thing I'll say is this, you know, one one reason why I still believe we need a state of some kind is I, without a state and without our coordinated efforts, both of those things are needed, but I don't see how you stop capitalism. I don't see how you, I don't see how you curb that shit. There needs to be something that has more power than individual corporations. And coordinated efforts from corporations, right? And right now, the only thing I can think of besides us in coordinated movement is still the existence of a state. So I don't know, like maybe one day we'll talk about anarchism and communism and all this other shit. But frankly, I don't know what the fuck any of that is really. Not really. And I I don't care. I want people to have homes. I want people to uh, have autonomy in their fucking lives. I want people to be able to explore the 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 beautiful things in this world and and to explore enjoy life to go places to visit places and to be able to if they want to raise families they can raise families and with all the fucking labor saving technology and all the money that we're making and all the uh, we have so much of an ability to actually change shit for people uh the fact that we don't do that so that uh, Elon Musk can buy a bird website and talk about how he wants to measure his dick and none of us, if we go on the website, can escape it. I I, I just think we can do better. I think we can do better. So that's it. This is the, this is the general sort of uh, uh, plan for a general strike. I want to talk about the utility of it. Want to talk about uh, why it could be advantageous, why now is the time to start organizing to do it, or at least to start building the infrastructure to do it and how we can get there. I hope that I've offered something of value. Um, of course, there are a lot more details to fill in and everything, but uh, I don't think we're that far off from it. You know, I think with some coordinated effort, uh, Let's see where we're at in a year. 
Honestly, let's see where we're at in a year. Because another thing that we have to anticipate is, uh, you know, capitalism is going to keep capitaling. And if it's going to keep capitaling, then like I said, the use of chat GPT, the use of, uh, they're going to continue to try to press and isolate and eliminate labor. And since we have those pressures that are happening to all of us, the one good thing about a whole group of people being under pressure is it can build solidarity and coordinated movement. If you all have a common enemy, if you're being attacked in the same way, well, you can band together. And that is what we need to be focusing on. All the little things, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't mean we're not going to still fight and stuff. You know, you'll be like, fuck you, bye. I'll be like, fuck you. And then we'll make up and stuff. Who cares? Like, that's fine. But the, the this is a pressure cooker. I want to make sure that we're the chef. Okay? Because the last thing we want, this will be the real last thing I say, is, I, I, I mean, I've talked about George Jackson before and how he writes in, you know, um, oh, God, blood in my eye. In blood in my eye, you know, he, he writes a lot about the uh, how fascism rose to power. Why did it become so prominent? And why didn't the socialists outwin or do better than the fascists? But he's very explicit, and a lot of writers have been very explicit about how fascism and, and socialism rise out of the same circumstances, right? They're both like these failures of a capital system or just the, the rungs of exploitation going too far and yada, yada, yada. But, but the fascist is really good at pointing out how fucked up things are, like things are really bad, but then providing like a bullshit answer and maintaining the capitalist power structure. So fascism arises from the same conditions as socialism, but fascists have the advantage of one, just being able to say dumb shit, like it's fucking gay transgender Muslims from Mexico who are, you know, pedophiles, and people just go, oh, that's it. Uh, but they also have the advantage, too, of really... Uh, Capitalism will have the back of fascists before it will have the backs of us. Just to be clear. Because what fascists promise is, hey, we're going to do some things. We're going to make some things look pro-worker and we're going to do this and that. But we're going to maintain the power structure as it is. And we're going to keep everything else in line with violence and yada yada. And that will be on us. But you'll still have your power. You'll still make your money. Uh, which means the only way for us to beat fascism, really, is going to be uh, developing class consciousness and having real solidarity, right? Now, that's a tough order, but fuck it. Like, if that's what we have to do, then we do it. Because, you know, like, fuck these, fuck these guys. Fuck them. That's it. General Strike, fuck them. Uh, hope this is how we do it. Uh, great. I'll take some calls real quick, and then I got to get back to work. Uh, Brady, welcome back, man. Got some good news for you today. I took your homework seriously, and I completed it. I got an interview with 
uh, Derek Rose tomorrow. He's an independent journalist activist who's running for mayor in Houston. And I'm well, that's great. I'm trying to get him an audience on RBN as well. So if anyone has any questions for him, he'll be here tomorrow. And and um, can you spell his last name for for me? I'm just trying to yeah. look him up so I can. First name is Derek with two R's. He's the real Derek with two R's. And um, <laughs> last name is B R O Z E, like Rose with a B. And he's an amazing dude. You're gonna fucking love this guy. Like he's cool as fuck. So get your questions ready. Yeah. Okay, great. And what time is this gonna be? Oh, whenever he's ready. I have it set for like two. Um, but okay, it's gonna be kind of. It's up in the air. Anytime tomorrow, it could be rescheduled, but we're shooting for tomorrow. Okay, great. That would be awesome. Um, I'd advise people to check that out. And I know you've talked about him before. Um, I'm not too familiar with his his platform, but. that would be cool. And I'm glad I'm, I, I always admire Brady that you, you go out and you, you try to do something. I'm uh, also starting a Texas musicians union. Cause it's too fucking hot to play down here outside. It's fucking nuts. We need some missed fans or something. You know what I'm saying? And um, I was wondering what you think about the use of a mutual aid network for a general strike it also serves as a political party with like completely transparent democratic allocation of campaign contributions towards nothing but mutual aid projects. Looks like Danny's not interested. And I'm just wondering what solidarity Uh, means. I hear a lot of talk about solidarity, but I I, I wonder what that word actually means. Yeah, I think it means just, just um, not making it about ourselves. Uh, understanding that we're all going through pain and trying to find a way to reach out and, uh, support. Uh, that's how I feel about solidarity. At least I, I, I feel like, um, there's not a lot of room for ego with solidarity and there's not a lot of room for, uh, uh, we gotta, we gotta be able to bounce back from things. Right. So like, uh, even because if you, that means that even if you disagree with someone or you don't like someone, you might have to put your own ego to the side and work with that person, even if you don't like them because they called you stupid or something, or they made you feel dumb. Right. Yeah. I think it goes both ways. You know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's also, um, being willing to admit when we're wrong. That's a tough one for a lot of people. Actually, I've, I've witnessed people struggling with that one today, actually. Um, believe it or not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that's, that's that's a part of it, but um, yeah, I'm glad you're 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 doing that. Uh, you asked me what do I think of uh, the 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 I remember the question, but the 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 main my main proxy thing party. here is that what the proxy party is? Is all that stuff? Yeah, it's a mutual aid network for whatever we need mutual aid for that's democratically allocated through transparent democracy, one-to-one direct democracy through the party. So it's basically just a a mutual aid network for unions, for citizens, for healthcare. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's a good idea. The, the one thing I'm starting to think, well, I'd have to think about like, obviously I think like a general strike fund or general, like a mutual aid fund, for workers generally is, is, has some potential. Now, how far that can get, how much effect it can have, 
we're definitely going to run into a lot of issues with it, but we got to see how to scale it. My, my one thing is I, I, I am starting to think that some of these initiatives, it's almost better if they are, uh, by, they are separated policy by policy and they're mission focused, right? I think a general strike fund, for example, or a general strike organization should, as much as that is a political organization, like don't get it twisted, uh, unions, uh, some unions are very, very political in like bad ways, right? They are, they could be corrupted. They could be, you know, leadership controls and is in cahoots with the, uh, the capitalists, but the, the, a union supports all of its workers. It's supposed to, regardless of who they vote for, regardless of political beliefs. And I think that kind of mission uh, discipline is going to be important. I think it's pr almost better and it gives you actually more political capital. I would imagine if people can rely on your organization, if workers turn to you and rely on your organization because they know you're going to fucking be there for them, I think that ends up going further politically than stated political beliefs. And I also think that, um, you know, there's, I, I'm, I'm kind of starting to believe in, uh, in some ways, kind of sneaky politics. Uh, you know, I, I think it, like, like maybe it makes more sense. Like finding loopholes and stuff like that. Well, there, I, I believe, no, well, I, that's not what I meant, but I, I kind of, I like that too, just by like, um, you leverage whatever power you can, right? Like I'm, I'm a big fan of like you, we are fighting, we're the underdog, right? So if I got to bite a motherfucker on the nose to get my punch in, I'm going to bite. I think, I think it's probably, I'm not afraid at that point. Now there's times to not fight dirty and everything, but I'm not afraid to like, they're going to use everything against us. I'm willing to do the same, right? Here's here's what what I actually meant though by the sneaky politics. I mean like you look, unions and labor using any laborers who are consciousness of their position as laborers and how they need to uh band together or be completely ex exploited. Uh, even if they're not talking about Trump or Biden or fucking Cornell West or whatever, right? That is political. That is politics. And it's actually more useful politics, I believe, because you're creating a, you're creating class consciousness. And in the sneaky politics, what I mean is if I'm involved in these organizations, I want to bring in, you know, references to George Jackson, I want to write, you know, I want to bring in, I want to bring in the, 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 the theory sneakily, like use the practical example of having to struggle together as laborers, uh, use that practical example and, and, and build off of that lived experience to kind of put in Marxist theory to put in uh, uh, some theory of like economics and, and to talk about externalities of capitalism and to, you know, that's what I mean by being sneaky. 
not being as explicit about, um, you know, I think a lot of politics today is very much just some fucking asshole showing up and telling you, you better vote blue no matter who, or you better vote for uh, Trump or Trump is blah, blah, blah. It's all this shit. It's all directing you to like do something that's really for their benefit, right? Democrats are not doing shit for workers. Biden broke the fucking, uh, the, the railroad worker strike that was supposed to happen back after the fucking derailment and shit, right? When the, when the unions were striking around that time, uh, Biden broke that. And now he has the audacity to go to unions and be like, well, you vote for me and I'll help you. I, I think that kind of politics is dog shit. Um, it's stinky doo-doo and it's, it's not going to get us anywhere. Uh, the politics, so when I say sneaky politics, what I really mean is um, politics by doing. Politics by doing, politics by example. Um, and then in doing that and showing people that you're there for them, giving them the theory, you know, to the extent that you can as to why you are. Why do I care about workers regardless of who they're voting for? Why do I continue to, 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 to pick it with them. Well, because whatever they want to believe, I understand that politically it is, they are on my side as far as we depend on our labor for value and they depend on exploiting it. And that's what's important, right? I think, I think that's more important than, uh, you know, people talking about, well, should we be Maoists or this? Like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a shit. Like I, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll read the shit, just because I'm trying to understand things. And you know, every once in a while, I do find, I mean, reading. Look, reading as much as like I, I just want to sit around and play Diablo Four, and as much as I do that all the time, it's very helpful. It is actually very, very helpful. It, it is kind of, it can really, it makes it to where you don't have to come up with every goddamn theory and everything yourself. There are a lot of, like, a lot of people have already figured this out. George Jackson, to me, is a great fucking example. Like, so much of what he reads in there, you're just like, yes. Like, this makes complete sense. He's already kind of cracked the code. And when you get into that, you can, uh, you're just better equipped to interpret your reality and interpret, you know, what's going on on more of like a, I guess, like a, a meta, a meta political level, right? But... Not everyone needs to do that. It doesn't need to be everyone's job. But my job as someone who does needs to be supporting people with the real politic, with actually supporting them. And then to the extent that I can inject those little bits of knowledge, start that journey, I'm doing that. That's what I mean by sneaky politics. Right on. My version of sneaky politics is a proxy debate where if someone refuses to debate you, you can just record their voice in public and uh, debate them on your own platform. And it's been working well. Yeah. I've been beta testing it and it's a lot of fun. And I think it could be a legitimate solution for Dr. West when it comes to debating Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I think if Dr. West were to do what I'm doing on call-in, it would be huge and he would absolutely hijack the entire uh, presidential race overnight.
it would just take a couple episodes. I, 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 I would hope so. I mean, like, look, if that if if I wouldn't mind if um, Cornell West hijacked the presidential race. I do got to say, though, the 13 of us on Colin, I don't know if that's going to get a lot of play, but who knows, man. But uh, Brady, uh, thanks for calling. I'm saying that I'm using Colin uh, as a tool to exemplify it. What I'm suggesting is that Dr. Cornell West take the idea of a proxy debate and then do that on the RBN network, on YouTube, on Rockfin, on on uh, uh, what's his face's Russell Brand show everywhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. And maybe uh, Joe Rogan. Take it to Joe Rogan. You know, if Dr. Cornell West had a proxy debate with Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump on Joe Rogan, that would be game over. That would absolutely, hands down the game over and believe it or not the 13 of us that hang out on Colin and have the big fish in a small pond complex issues if just the 13 of us got together and created enough buzz about uh dr west uh proxy debating uh the candidates on joe rogan it could mm-hmm. actually happen mm-hmm. and dr west could actually win and then we could legalize psychedelics and fucking have the renaissance that we've been starved for for thousands of years well, I'm 100 percent with, with you. I'm 100 with you on legalized psychedelics. Those uh, those they literally cool. make you smarter. Yeah, I think they make you. They, 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 they help out a lot. I, I I dig it. I dig it. But Brady, thanks for calling, man. I like the new profile pic. Cool elephant guy. I, I think. Yeah. All right, man. Till next time, bro. Yep. Please do. Mm-hmm. I don't know why me smoking a joint sounds like me sucking dick. I don't know what that was like. I don't know. I don't know why I made that noise to fucking <laughs> to fucking smoke a joint. But maybe it's been a while. Maybe I need to get a, another joint. That was wild. Uh, Lysol, what's happening? Welcome back. Hey, how's it going, man? So, hey, um, according, according to our traditions, I have brought some Flintstone push-up pops because it's probably oh, hot right now. Oh yeah, dude. Ah oh, man, you make me want to go out to like a one of the ice cream vendors and just see, I, I'm pretty sure they still have to carry those. Right. They I've have. seen, I've seen them in liquor stores, but they look like they're from 1995. Yeah. I mean, they probably are, man. I mean, it's, it, they're probably still good too. That's the thing. <laughs> they're probably just as healthy for you as they were when they were first produced. I don't think anything's changed, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I got some Flintstone vitamins to go with it. So we'll just 10 million strong. Yeah, and growing. There we go. <laughs> Dude, I do kind of i i i do kind of feel fortunate for being like the last of like the '90s kids, though. That fe- I don't know. Maybe it's just nostalgia hitting, but like that did feel felt like music was still pretty good. There was or it was around. There was still like I don't know. There was something magical about it, but. You know, maybe that's just us getting old and whatever. Who knows? Totally. So, so I've been working. So I've been thinking about like the UPS strike and stuff. And like, yeah. so so if you go into most businesses, you look at their top expenditures, it's going to be rent, it's going to be energy, it's going to be insurance, and it's going to be shipping. Right. And so what if the UPS strike lasts long enough to start putting hurts on other businesses and other capitalists see that as an excuse to so like, Oh, well, you know, we can't, we, we can't give you a raise. We have a raise. We have to raise prices um, because the shipping costs have gone up starts to radicalize people in other buildings. And it's kind of like a cascading effect. Yeah. I, I I've thought the same thing actually Lysol or something very similar. I mean, one thing I really like, and one reason why I really want UPS to strike 
is because of the amount of economic damage they can do and how that economic damage will affect multiple industries. Uh, I think if I were UPS, I would really be trying to also coordinate with FedEx and other delivery companies to all strike at the same time. Uh, if there was an Uber strike ability or some kind of just DoorDash or something like that, I would, I think that the goal there should be to make it as painful as possible. And I think the rest of us will be okay. Uh, look, it's, uh, you're right. I mean, look, the risk of a lot of things of, of, of basically capitalism itself is that it's constantly trying to pass the price off onto the consumer. It never wants to touch. It never wants to reduce the, the amount of profit itself makes, right? Uh, the profit that goes to shareholders. So, uh, I mean, you saw it with inflation, right? Like a lot of inflation was just being caused by, uh, capitalists knowing that they could charge us more for things and then just doing it. Yeah. So I, I, I shared a link in the comments. I want, cause I mean, if UPS drivers struck and Amazon drivers also struck, they could literally shut Amazon down. Oh, Amazon's fuck, entire yeah. business model fuck, is based yeah. on getting you shit fast and free. Yeah. So it makes me want to yeah. yeah. like a bunch Amazon, of those trucks yeah. in a warehouse. Like, yeah, UPS go on strike. I'm going to hire, I'm going to hire everybody and have like, I bet he's got robot cars ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, that's the goal, right? The goal is robot cars. I mean, it wasn't too long ago until uh, that Jeff Bezos was talking about um, uh, really wanted to use drones to ship packages, uh, was getting an entire fleet of drones to ship packages. So now that job is gone for all of the different um, drivers. Uh, you could essentially do the same thing in a, in a warehouse. Uh, while the and here's the other thing though with with a union is you can when you're negotiating terms it's not just pay it's not just uh you know working conditions you could stop them you can in your negotiations stop them from implementing certain technologies if you want i mean one of the things i forgot to do here that i did want to go into a little bit is uh, you know, the uh, members of the uh, Screen Actors Guild uh, were releasing all of the deal points that they had with the, uh, you know, what what they wanted to get from these studios and the studio's responses. And uh, I'll put a link to the, uh, I wish I could figure it out. Okay, here we go. I'm not, I don't, not really good at Twitter and stuff, but. Uh, here we go. Let me see. This is a link. Uh, if anyone wants to look at it, uh, some of the demands that uh, the actors have and some of the responses here by management. And they're really, it's really incredible. I mean, like, uh, for example, uh, one of these says on economics, inflation and wage invasion. Um, so the actors are asking for a new media revenue sharing deal. So they want casts to share in the revenue generated when their performances are exhibited on streaming platforms. And this would allow casts to share in the success of high-performing shows. That's what they say. Uh, that's been rejected. That's a counteroffer. Uh, studios don't want to give them that, right? Imagine like uh, you, you write songs, you're a musical artist, and your shit is playing everywhere on the radio. And someone is getting paid for all of that, but it's not you. It is 
the studio executives who are getting paid for the art you created. I, I mean, the, this, but these are things that you can demand, right? Like, this is why, um, this is why everyone should really unionize, honestly. Like, I, I would take a look at some of these uh, things for everyone on Twitter. And I, I know I got to probably wrap up soon, but um, no, I think, uh, man, I, I don't know. So you always make me like think about stuff and then get excited again and start looking at I'll stuff. I'll never so. apologize for that. Uh, Cool. <laughs> what, one, one last, one last yeah. thing. Uh, have you watched I'm a Virgo yet? I know I'm going uh, to though. I, dude, that's, that's coming dude, next. Yeah. It's I love this. So show. fucking good. Um, there are a couple okay, sequences cool. where the young black woman talks, just like fucking spits marks and how it applies to Oakland, California. And it's just so good. It's, 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 okay. there, there, there's a, um, there's a, there's a point where the, the hero, like the, the fake Superman is actually an asshole gets explained why he is what is causing crime in the first place. It's fucking mwah. And there's also one talking no about, shit. it's like they yeah. visualize the crisis of capitalism where capitalism embeggars its workers who can't buy the products. And so they have to raise prices and lower wages and that kind of cycle. But it's yeah. like, it's like five or six minutes and it's just like very, very cool graphics. And it's, um, you know, it's like you don't you don't get that kind of theory in things that are actually entertaining. And so it's 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 nice. It's like you, you're not studying when you're watching the movie, but you're learning, you know. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I feel like Boots Riley's really good at that. He's always been uh, he's he's such an interesting artist, too. I really do love his stuff. So uh, great. Yeah. OK, I'll watch it as soon as I, I can. I'm, I'm, I swear to God, I'm going to have to pull another all nighter tonight. I am. If I die on like an Adderall overdose or something, guys, my bad, but holy shit. Like I am, I, this has not been a good week so far. Um, man, work. Maybe I should eat. <laughs> Joe, Bi- Joe Byron and Biden just like two person, two sides of your brain. Unionized. <laughs> yeah. My, my temporal yeah. lobes yeah, have the union. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Figure that out. But, um, cool, man. Well, I, I, I always appreciate you calling sure. me so, oh. and enjoy those, uh, in the, in, yeah. the, in the spirit of Boots Riley, I'd rec- my, my request for an outro song is Guillotines by The Coup, which is uh, Boots, Boots Riley's band. I would love to do that. My speaker that I use to play music just died, but I will try anyway. But thank you. I will, I will try. Okay, cool. Yep, always a pleasure. Uh, next, we have Hakeem. Hey, Kim, what's going on? Welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. How are you? I'm alive. Hey, so I have, um, I, I drive for Uber for one thing. Oh, great. And then the well, second thing is, um, I also signed just recently got elected and signed a one year contract through a third party and through Uber with, uh, an organization called street level strategy in order to be the liaison between the drivers in the entire state of Virginia who drive for Uber and to Uber corporate for different concerns and things that they have. Um, So one is, um, I heard you talk about that drivers and things like that don't have like a way to organize. And I feel like maybe something like this, because it's a new program that got rolled out a few years ago. They tried it in Canada and other selected states in the U.S., and now they're rolling it out 
um, everywhere that they can to have someone to bring the concerns from the drivers to directly to Uber corporate. I actually have another meeting with them tomorrow with the Uber corporate and street level strategy. So I'm wondering, so because you did mention that they don't have a way to organize Uber drivers, and I think this might be a step in the right direction. Um, also, as an, I, because I don't understand a lot about a lot of things, what do you find to be the issue, if you could summarize between a lot of people, because you mentioned that it seems like a lot of the the um, capitalists want people to do things like Uber, which is to go and work um, as independent contractors. Um, and for me, it's a favorable thing to do because I can go offline whenever I want and work at my own pace. And if I need more, I can work more, so on and so forth. What do you see as the problem with that? Why is that, that an issue? Great question. Fantastic question, Akeem. Let me, let me, first let me say those advantages of being an independent contractor, I agree with. I think they're, they're great to be able to set your own schedule, to be able to, uh, you know, basically log in and log out when you want. Uh, There are advantages to being an independent contractor. That being said, I don't think the job position Oh, the, 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 the assumption is that as a, or as an employee, now legally they would have, you know, there are different rules for being, having control and the like, but as you know, like, like if you're an employee, they can control your hours and, and do the like, but I don't think it necessarily has to be either or. I think, especially something like Uber, um, what the ideal would be, would be the flexibility of independent contractors with the stability and the, uh, the leverage that being an employee gives you. What, what kind right? of leverage do you mean that an employee gives you? Because. So, yes, the main one here is, uh, the ability to unionize and to collectively bargain. So. This is this is one of the biggest advantages of unions, really. Uh, well, first and foremost, you're only eligible to unionize if you are an employee, right? Um, it's it's just kind of the nature of of the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, independent contractors are exempted from the uh, the act that allows unions to form, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the advantage of a union is when it comes to, well, as, as an independent contractor, uh, you don't have a lot of control over how much you get paid by Uber, what the percentage of the split is. If I am to believe what the conversation I had with my Uber driver a couple nights back, uh, Uber right now, I think it's something in Chicago, like a 60 or 65 split for Uber and a 40 or 45 split for the driver. For each Might fare. be there in that different localities because it's more where I'm in Virginia. Okay. So do they have, does Uber get more of that no, percentage or do you get, get more of that of the percentage? Okay. okay. In, in my mind, I think Uber, I, that's still like that amount, even like a 50-50 split to me, sounds fucking insane. Because Uber is not doing 50% of the work. Now, maybe they have a lot of the overhead. Maybe there's a conversation to be had there. But as an independent contractor, 
your ability to actually negotiate those terms and figure out what's fair for both yeah. of you is severely now, limited. One of the things, because, uh, excuse right. me for cutting you off, but one of the things they do is they no, send please. us surveys on a regular basis. And, and that was actually one of the questions they, they asked was, do you think that your payment is fair through Uber? What do you think the percentage is that you're getting? Do you think if, if that, based on your assumption, do you think that's fair to you, so on and so forth? And I also think that through the street level strategy, this new Uber crew position, I think is might be something that might be able to ask and address those questions since I'm directly speaking to Uber corporate and even the CEO of Uber. So um, anyway, I just, with that said, um, yeah, can, please continue. I just wanted to. Yeah, sure. So I think that's, that's good. I just think systemically uh, that will fade. The, the tendency of a for-profit corporation, especially one like Uber, which is still in the midst of, one, becoming profitable, and two, eliminating competition from the likes of Lyft and, and so on. Uh, what their goal is and what their shareholders will make them do, their legal obligation in our system is to maximize shareholder value. So. Right. The people who own the shares of Uber and the biggest shareholders in particular have to get the majority of the profit and the benefit. Now, what does that do? Well, eventually, within that system, they, you know, if, they, if they're trying to lower prices or if they're trying to find ways to become more profitable, they have to try to find ways to lower costs. and. Almost inevitably, the way that Uber tries to lower costs the most, or that any real company tries to lower costs, it almost always comes back to lowering the cost of labor, paying less, or getting more work from workers for less, which is what you've seen happen in America and really the world over in particular. But like America, you know, that's what I was saying earlier on when. Uh, you know, Americans are 65% more profitable than they've ever been, yet we're, our, our wages are stagnant. So that means we're getting paid even less, even if we were just as profitable. We'd still be getting paid less because we have not kept up with inflation. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing more work on top of that. And that is the tendency. And again, I think it's, it's, it's you know, my grandpa was a CEO of a of a pretty good sized company for a while, um, a public utility company, but a, a, a company, you know, like he's, he did the whole thing. Uh, he's lived a good life. I mean, he's been retired since he's been like 55 or something, right? He's like one of those old school yeah. guys who just did it. And I do think that culturally there's been a, well, one, there, a lot of regulations and stuff have been eliminated since his time. So the amount of profit that can be extracted is just much higher. And the, the, the shareholder maximization principle, I think, is an invention of like the 60s or 70s and then was really perfected in the 80s with the Reaganomics and, and the like, right? But the, the main rub is this, that, you know, he always used to tell me that the problem, I mean, he grew up during the Cold War, so take, obviously take it with a grain of salt. He would say, the problem with communism is communism. The problem with capitalism is capitalists. And I think... As I've gotten older, as I've read more, I think the problem with capitalism 
is capitalism. It it has a tendency. It if it's profit maximization, then it's going to try to offshore or off off um, to to um, exonerate itself of as many costs as it can. You know, cost to the environment, cost to the community. Uh, you know, we're subsidizing the price of every oil company right now with the destruction of our planet. They're not paying the true price of the production of the oil. It's an externality that they're causing, but they're not paying for. And at the same time, in trying to maximize their profit, they're trying to cut as much uh, or extract as much from labor as it possibly can and get away with. And the thing with Uber in particular that frightens me is it's it's good that they're, you know, they're sending out these surveys and stuff, but one, their companies are very sophisticated. They they understand the rub. They understand the game. Now, they want to basically find ways to keep morale and keep labor and to the extent that they can get away with or implement programs that will maintain laborers without actually paying them more, they will. But the goal, the stated fucking goal of Uber is to replace every Uber driver with a machine. They're one of the biggest uh, investors in self-driving cars. They're already planning on getting fleets and fleets of self-driving cars. The goal, no matter what these surveys say, and even if you have a nice guy at the head, even if the CEO happens to be really reasonable Maybe he came from a working class background and he really wants to do the best by his workers. That's great. It this really is. This is she, by the way, but yeah. But, okay. Oh, she. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm a sexist. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I, I just did the doctor joke where it was like, no, I can't operate on him. It's my son. See? Yeah. Look, look at me. I, I, I apologize. Ladies, my bad. But uh, yeah. she. But she could be really great, right? But the system. And the incentives of the system are always almost inevitably going well, to go down. You know down what? I'm, to, I'm incorrect uh, because I only saw the okay. name. Um, it's Dara uh, Khosrowhashi from Persia, a Persian guy. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. I thought it was a woman. That, there's uh, my, my mistake because I was just seeing her name on oh. the panel when we had a meeting the other day or his name. I thought it was a woman. Yeah. Yeah, it's a guy. Okay, well, you know what? Gender's a social cost. Who cares? <laughs> but like, but the 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 you know the the tendency is always going to be, even if you have like really good CEOs for a while, they're replaced, and as long as the it's profit over everything, and as long as it's well, we don't want to uh, regulate. Uh, we don't. We're going to spend our money on deregulation, and we want to make more profit. They're going to replace you. That's the goal: is to replace you. And it's not, it doesn't really matter how nice the people are in the offices. I think that's one of the things that we, we kind of get wrong about politics generally when we don't look at systems and, how, and, and the incentives that are created by the system as it operates, right? It's, it's not a bunch of, like, are there a bunch of, like, evil people controlling things and everything? Yeah, but the, it's not the, – the system itself usually filters – has so many filters in it to where these people get to those positions because that's what the system rewards, right? It's, 
it's not like an individual personal failing of every CEO or every like shareholder or whatever. It's the incentives and what the system is meant to protect and generate and do, which is why, uh, you know, laborers are always getting the shaft. So, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not trying to like, um, I hope I'm not like making it sound like, stre- like stressing you out or bumming no, you out or um, anything. I just, I just, yeah. you know, um, there are other things that I've heard too, like, because of, um, and I'm going to go so that Zach can get up here real quick and you can go do what you got to do. But that one of the other complaints that people have is that Uber is basically wanting to have a, a labor pool, but not, but because we're not employees, they don't have to give us health insurance and all this other stuff like that. That's right. Um, but they do provide access to different companies that they have partnerships with. So we have less expensive health care or like access to different health care and dental and things like that. And even they just recently gave me a one year like premium, like the top membership to like Costco and things like that. And they give you gas, like rebates and all that stuff like that. But I mean, there are a lot of other benefits to save money, but um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with all of that. The one thing I mean, and that's nice. The one thing I'll say, Hakeem, is that the tendency is going to be that those programs, first of all, you just should have healthcare, right? Like we, I think we should all be entitled to healthcare, just, you know, point blank period. It shouldn't be a matter of, it's a, it's, it's an inelastic product, right? Like we, you either with some things with your health, either if you don't pay whatever the, the, the price is, you die. So that to me is something that should be completely kind of that that should be a, a single payer system or some kind of system to where people have that as a right. Um, but that being said, it's you know the companies, like I said, can do nice things or can do things that seem nice, but the first thing they're going to cut is all of that, right? The the goal here, and it, again, it's not it's not necessarily just a bunch of evil people it's not an individual like evil problem it's a systemic tendency problem the system is always trying to maximize and when you refer to the system you mean the system of capitalism yeah capitalism and the incentives so the incentives of capitalism the way it works what what it is meant to maximize now and 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 you know i'm not out here saying because sometimes people are like well Aren't markets useful? Yes, markets can be extremely useful as far as like in some circumstances, but with the motive, with the with the only incentive being uh, maximization of profit, some socially necessary things will just not happen. You know, roads, bridges, uh, healthcare, uh, the, the goal is always going to be minimize as much of the costs as possible. If you can have the public bear the costs, have them bear the costs. I mean, look, when you hear about corporations doing like really like hilariously evil shit, uh, you know, dumping waste in the Amazon, why are they doing that? It It's not just because they're like, fuck these trees, boy. You know, like they're not like, it's not some motherfucker who just really loves fucking trees up. It's just cheap. It's like, yeah, fuck it. Okay, cool. We make more money. And I get to report to my shareholders that we made more money. And, oh, there's 
someone else will have to deal mm. with it, right? I mean, that's that's how the system is, is is set up. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that because the rebates on 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 gas and stuff. Look, one of the one of the ways that companies get away with doing this stuff is uh, they find more cost effective ways to make their workers at times feel like they're really being valued. Right. Uh, And those are things like what you're talking about, you know, like rebates on gas. Well, what happens if you get into a wreck? Are they going to pay for the value of your car? Do they pay for your car insurance? Do they pay for, you know, they give you rebates. Do they pay for the gas? They don't like the tools that you use for your work are your tools. Now that's for an independent contractor. That's, that's standard. Right. But, uh, the risk that you take on is very high. I mean, look, car accidents too have a huge risk of death, right? Like let, let's be real. It's, it is driving is dangerous. Now it's not the most dangerous thing in the whole world. And you know, it doesn't mean that everyone's going to get into an accident or something, but it's, it's an inherently dangerous job too. And taking people into your car that you don't know, there's a lot of the risks that you as an Uber driver are taking on that, you know, say you die from an Uber ride. Um, Say someone in your Uber uh, fucking kills you or something, right? Is there a wrongful death action there? Do you think Uber is going to pay for the funeral costs or anything like that? It's, it's the goal here. It's, it's kind of like the pizza party problem, right? Work, uh, you know, some old HR training and the like used to be like, well, if you really want to retain workers, you don't just, uh, you don't pay them more. Instead, you throw a nice pizza party. You make the office feel like a family. And this, this gets a little weird because, you know, I'm sure there are offices out there and, and I'm sure there are corporations maybe, but like small businesses that really do good by their workers and that really do, do feel like a family and everything. Mm-hmm. Right. But the the cynical use of a lot of these same tactics, uh, pizza parties, gas rebates and everything, really what it is, is a way to make appease their workers to make them feel more valued without actually paying them mm. their value. Because by definition, the goal of, of hey, look, if you're making profit, there's exploitation of labor involved. You know, like they depend on your labor. That's where they make their money from. And look, I'm not even trying to say that, like, some people say labor should get 100% of the value of their labor. Well, we still have to talk about, like, the oversights and, the, and like, costs. And, like, I'm even open to, like, where do you, where do you, like, okay, how do you, how do you figure that part out exactly? But what bothers me is workers have no seat at the table for figuring that shit out. And as an independent contractor, you do have those perks, but I don't see why we can't live in a world where something like Uber exists and they're not giving you healthcare or, and then, then, you know, or they don't control your hours, but as long as you work something like 40 hours a, a, a week or 30 hours a week, then you qualify as an employee. Like what's the, what, you know, and maybe there's like a, uh, a second tier of employment 
to where you get paid more or something if you work the hours that Uber tells you to work, if they have that actual yeah. control. But you know what I mean? The, 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 there's got to be something. There's a world that we, we can live in a world where we can make both of those things possible. Both you maintain the flexibility of your life that you like, and you have the security that you should be entitled to, you know, the security of your healthcare, the security of, uh, being able to actually negotiate directly with your employer, uh, the security of not being fired for some bullshit or suddenly deprived your, uh, right to, to, to work without any kind of redress or ability to, to, you know, question that. And I, I, that's what I'd like to move towards. And that's why I think, again, uh, there needs to be concentration of, of, uh, basically us using our labor power together uh, because it's our level. Well, there's more to this discussion to be had. There's, there's a lot of minutia and details, but I appreciate you um, educating me on and getting me up to speed on some of the the ideas about this. Um, I'll jump down so Zach can get up here. Um, Yeah. I really appreciate the call. You know, great questions. And uh, you know, I'm I'm really glad you you called in. Thank you very much. Take care, Joe. Yeah, take care, man. Cool. Cool dude. Oh, sick. Zach, what's going on, buddy? What's happening, man? How you doing? How you doing, Bide? Uh, it's been a little bit, but uh, yeah. it's good to talk to you. Yeah, same, man. Glad to see you're alive and kicking. Uh, yeah, I just had a, a one or two things. So the first thing, um, we really have to talk to our friends and family. It's it, it's kind of like the um, – sorry if you hear my dog barking in the background. Um, that talk to your kids about drugs thing. Um, yeah. We have to talk to our friends and families. You know, if this if a labor movement is the way we go about scabs. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all in or all out, and I, I think we need to um, definitely have conversations um, about that with, with uh, the people we interact with on a daily basis. Um, and then the second thing is, um, be, because I'm disabled, I'm, I'm not technically a worker. Um, I, I can empathize, but I, I, I would like anyone listening right now to definitely consider, please, um, the, the lower classes in our community, the people like me that are, um, shut out of this conversation. Um, we have a role to play and, um, helping us find where that is um is a really good thing in my opinion absolutely absolutely yeah you know from from each according to their ability to each according to their need right um and you know just because you're not laboring or you're not like a a a worker in the traditional sense it doesn't mean that you can't find ways to get involved and it doesn't mean that it's not your space to fight for those rights too. Right. Because as long as you are, uh, in that same boat as people, uh, to where you, if capitalists controlled everything, uh, I mean, look, it was basically workers who had to fight for things like disability to begin with. Right. Like when you think about it, there, there were no, there were no rights for people who, uh, needed medical leave 
or who got hurt on a job. There was no redress and there was no, you know, if you ended up being disabled uh, in some way, shape or form, you were just fucked. And if you go to other countries where those laws haven't been passed too, I mean, I still, it's been like about 10 years now. Wow. 10 years since I've been to Nigeria again, but you go over there, uh, you know, you'll see disabled people in the middle of busy intersections where the roads have no lines or anything, cars are speeding past them, you know, people with their legs bent every which way who are just begging and they have nothing. Um, and they just beg there for that's it. Uh, that's not the kind of society we want to live in. And it's frankly a, a, I think one of the biggest examples of a, a breaking of the social contract and of the one of the biggest misuses of the amount of uh, things that we can actually produce, the amount of wealth we can pr produce is when we don't take, when we don't use the advances in technology, the amounts, the advances in the amount of wealth we can produce to take care of people to, to put it to humanitarian ends. Uh, what's the fucking point of progress? If you're not going to show, if you're not going to uh, really use that progress that you make and all that labor saving, uh, all those labor saving devices and all that wealth to create a world where what would be an injustice, uh, you can, you can just eliminate, you know, like what's the, what's the fucking point of it? Why keep progressing if it's not for basically that Star Trek shit? Um, but yeah, man, you're never, you're never, uh, your contributions matter too. And you are as much part of the labor movement as, as any of us. Right on, man. Thanks for taking my call. And again, don't cross the picket line. No, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, don't be a scab people. Uh, and just, uh, thanks Zach for calling. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, w one thing to say, uh, you can follow what the, the, uh, the striking, uh, organizations when they're going on strike, typically they have like a, a Twitter or their president or someone leadership will usually put out messages as to what is considered scabbing. And more importantly, even if you're not at risk of being a scab, sometimes, uh, you know, they will ask for people not to consume certain good or, you know, to buy or to shop at a certain store, uh, follow along with that. Uh, and, and, and just for, rec for the record right now, at least the last time I checked the, neither the screen actors guild or the, uh, the writers guild is asking for people to uh, not watch programs that are on. So they say, please keep watching. Uh, it actually shows that we're valuable because, you know, they have our numbers up and they can see the number of people who are still watching our work. And as those numbers go down, they're going to panic. So right now, uh, watching content is not crossing the picket line. Uh, so uh, last caller, Omar, what's going on? Hey, babe. 
KK and Joe. Hello? Yeah, hey. hello? Hey, how's it going? All right, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a second. Yeah. Just saying, welcome yeah. back. What Thanks. you been up to? Oh, just uh, a lot of work and family stuff, but um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make two points, and I hope I don't come off as cynical, but like I feel that like what you, the, what you were talking about that the the progress that we made, if we're kind of squandering it, um, and I've I've had the same kind of uh, the same kind of thought as you. Um, I'm like. If we have all this wealth, like there's enough to go around. And then I think I've come to realize that there have been all these evil things that have been done or harmful things that have been done in order to create that wealth. And that is that has corrupted the the culture in such a way that it, it makes it really hard to kind of reset midway and say, hey, yeah, we have all this wealth now that was ill-gotten. Now let's use it for something good. It's just been such a corrupting yeah. uh, influence, all these all these bad deeds, like stolen land, genocide, stolen yeah. people, stolen yeah. labor. Uh, and, and it's just continued, continu- continued and continued across these centuries. And it's really created this this momentum, uh, it, this toxic momentum, and it's hard to get away from that. Uh, that's why you have the the situation right now with corporations and and people le- are very easily swayed by, you know, oh well, I just want to get mine, I just want to, sure. you know, get by. Um, so. That's one. Yeah. Then, yeah that's absolutely. one hurdle. Another hurdle I see is, and it's not unrelated, the fact that we're such an atomized individualist culture compared to others uh, that it's it's hard to uh, create a sense of community, a sense of interdependence, uh, and a sense of like you know uh, respect and care for our fellow, even our neighbors. Uh, in a deep yeah. sense compared to other cultures like India I look at India and how they've they were man they were able to manage the millions of people that went on general strike and it's within the context of a collectivist culture that is really richly connected interconnected every day and I I can speak to this because I kind of straddle both of these cultures, the individualist and the collectivist culture. And it's such a stark contrast of how you exist socially. Um, And so I think that's a huge hurdle that I think we need to start changing. We need to make it so that we're less individualist and more connected with each other in order to, to be able to, to, to make all these improvements that we need to make. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, let me, let me, I guess I'll respond Omar to like kind of both of those points. Right. Um, so the first point, uh, basically like so much of the wealth, so much of the progress, 
is on bloodstained hands, on stolen land. Uh, it's it's a history that we cannot escape. Um, yeah, that's true. But uh, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done something in your personal life where you just really regret it or you've really fucked up. You, you hurt someone very badly. Uh, you were cruel. You, you, I don't know. Cause I, I, I definitely have. Right. And you cannot change what has happened. Right. But you can always make the decision to moving forward, decide, no, I'm, I'm not going to cause that kind of harm anymore. And in fact, I'm going to try to do what I can to not only mitigate that harm, but to prevent it from happening. Uh, we're all kind of born into a society where we, we wear the sins of our fathers and ancestors on our shoulders. Uh, but nothing is preventing us from doing a mea culpa. Nothing is preventing us now with where we're at from recognizing that and deciding that we want to dedicate our lives to trying to leave the world in a better place than what it was because of the actions of who came before us or because of our own actions, right? I think, you know, one of the earliest... Uh, kind of calling rooms I had on here was about the concept of forgiveness. Uh, and, you know, without getting too religious or anything about it, I, I talked about a couple of people, right? I talked about, uh, at the time, uh, Pope, I think Pope Francis is a Pope, right? Whoever the Pope is now, uh, he had gone to Canada to where the Catholics had had a bunch of indigenous schools for indigenous children where, uh, I mean, they killed hundreds of kids. They forcibly separated them from their families. They murdered uh, children. They beat them. They sexually and physically abused them. Uh, it, this is all very well documented. Um, and this happened in Canada. And it was just, it's fucking terrible. And Pope Francis or whatever comes to this, this tribe, these tribes, it was multiple, um, these peoples. And he, as stupid as it sounds, um, and hopefully the sound's still there for you, um, Omar, but as, as stupid as it sounds, he officially apologized. Um, now, does that mean anything? Oh, there you go. Yeah. Does that mean anything? I don't, I don't know. Um, but if he apologizes and then decides to dedicate the rest of the church to not causing that kind of harm again, well, that's sometimes the best we can do. And I take the sort of thing, I, I take that same sort of stance with like, you know, the blood on our hands from our ancestors and the like. It's like, well, it's there. It, it is what it, it is what it is. You can't change the past, but we can always make the decision to not do that moving forward. And then for your point about, you know, how 
America's got such an individualist culture and it's hard to find that kind of solidarity and that kind of collectivism that we need, especially when uh, it seems hard, to, you know, a lot of us don't even know our neighbors. We're in so many ways, so much more isolated than we, uh, we've ever been. I think a lot of that is true, but I also think, and I know, and this may sound stupid, but we make some pretty good fucking memes, dude. And we make memes with each other and we connect with strangers. And even if we're anonymously on something like Twitter or something, sometimes it feels like you know people or you know where they're at or you can feel a camaraderie with them. And as the conditions of capitalism have been affecting all of us uh, more and more and putting more and more pressure on all of us, we have the shared experience of that exploitation. And that can mean a lot. I think a lot of the reason why people on this app have connected is because no matter what different walks of life they're from, no matter you know what race or religion or really gender or anything like that, they all kind of feel and recognize that a lot of what's been happening to them is a result of a system that is putting that kind of pressure on them. And you can see people on this app who have developed senses of camaraderie with one another uh, because of that. I think that there's almost like a there's a tendency sometimes too for us to to romanticize uh not necessarily other cultures but you know i mean i feel the same way when i go to nigeria and you know very collectivist culture and people there it seems they're warmer with each other they're smiling more they're but at the same time they also got that guy on the on the street who's disabled with his legs twisted and i think that we we have a tendency to sometimes look at where we're at and think, oh, we're not, we're not where we need to be, or we can never be as collectivists. I honestly think we're more of a collective than even we realize. People's, one of the biggest shapers of culture, when you think about it too, is the economic conditions and the shared experience, right? Well, we're, we're sharing the experience, right? Like we're, when we've all gotten fucked in the same way. Hello? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to add to that. So I've seen people here in really, I mean, heartbreaking situations, um, asking for money. Like it, it like where we have quote unquote, and this is, stupid term but global south conditions in this country um and like i think that the the analogy that you used about an individual who like has done all this wrong and then they they still have like a chance to kind of turn things around to me like as a culture like the analogy kind of breaks down because we have institutions built around all these negative practices and that makes it even harder to disentangle from that past because there are these 
practices and institutions that are perpetuating these harms and yeah. versus an individual who, you know, they can, they, they, they don't have that infrastructure that's, that's centered around their wrongdoing. It's more about like a personal will to, to kind of overcome that. But I sure. mean, I'm not saying it's insurmountable, but I'm just saying that it, it just adds more obstacles. It absolutely does. And it makes it more complicated. And in the same way that like, uh, you know, like we're, a lot of us are kind of alienated from our labor in the same way we're, we're somewhat alienated from these institutions. I mean, like, look, we, you know, I wear fucking sneakers that I like and some kids hands are probably bleeding for putting those sneakers together. I think there's a lot of that shit that is like, you know, sometimes from a personal responsibility standpoint, we do need to kind of check in with ourselves and see how we're contributing. But I don't think, I think as long as you're dedicated to really actually changing the institution or to trying to correct the wrongs as much as you can and doing that collectively, I think that's the best we can do. Otherwise, I mean, it's just because, you know, the alternative, you can either try to do something or you can not. Those are really, I mean, that's about it, right? The institutions yeah. are like, I, I don't, I don't blame people for, uh, you know, living in a society. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we, we, we live in a society and, and, uh, it's it's by no fault of our own, but it's also in a lot of ways by no choice. Like none of us even chose to be born, right? Like it's it's, but it is what it is. And while we're here, if we can recognize how we're contributing to that, and if we can recognize how we can make the world more just, then we should we should be fighting for that. And that's the best we can do. And you know, for for how we're judged. By history, I mean, let's be honest, everyone's going to be forgotten in history and time. But I think I think the, the goal here should be we don't even really worry about that stuff, right? We, tried, we, we, we don't try to, like, show people or tell people affect their judgment, right? Like, there, there's a world for sure where, I don't know. 500 years from now or something. No, no. Like, let's say 10 years after our deaths or something, like everyone just thinks we were a real piece of shit, right? We don't have control over that, really. What we have control over is if you recognize you're doing a wrong and if you recognize that the institutions are, are bad and they're doing wrongs, you, okay, fight to change them. Try the judgments for, you know, for, it's for ourselves when, when we're going off into that quiet night or whatever. And that's about it. You can't affect anything else. I mean, it's, and that's kind of why I liked that, that Pope example though, too, because it is kind of a weird, you know, who knows? Is it cynical? Is it, did the Catholic church have to do it? No. Does it change any of the bad shit they're doing right now? No. Does it, have they reformed everything? No. But, like, I think just even starting 
with like a recognition is like at least enough of a, at least it's an effort, right? And who knows, you know, maybe people never forgive us. Maybe, I don't know, maybe we get fucked up, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, it just is what it is. No, that that reminds me, it's like a, a same sentiment that Chris Hedges has expressed is that you don't, you know, fight because you think you are going to win necessarily, but because you have to try. Yeah. Look, you fight, you, you fight because it's, it's right to do. And I know that starts to get weird and you know, what is right and everything? Look, I think, I think people being able to live their lives to, to have some freedom and happiness. Uh, I think that's worth fighting for personally. And I think that, you know, as someone, again, who's been like, who's really been, you know, fucked up to people. Um, I, if they still hate me or if they, you know, if I've done some really bad things or whatever, if there's a judgment, if there's something that comes after this, I'll take whatever history gives me. But it doesn't change the fact that with what, with the time you and I have left, with the time all of us have left, we can we can decide to try to do something different. If we recognize the injustice and then you actually try to fight to change it, I think that matters. And I think, you know, I talked last time about General Buck Naked, who is, was one of the most evil people on the planet. You know, he was raping, killing, eating children, tens of thousands of them. Like, it's, it's almost comical how fucking evil this guy was. And it's all documented. He'd go into battles naked in Libya when that shit show was going on. And he just thought he was like covered in the magic of God or something. He'd just murder, kill, terrifying general. Well, he's like a, a preacher now in Libya who works with child soldiers to try to reform them. Now, is it cynical? I don't know. Is it... Should he be forgiven? Hmm. I mean, like, at a certain point, man, I'm not forgiving you. But even if someone doesn't forgive me or forgive the institution or whatever, like, it's... He's... I mean, spend your time doing what you think is right after, right? I guess that's the best answer I can give, but, you know, because what's the alternative? The alternative is doing nothing. And then that's even worse. Because <laughs> we're not doing anything to solve the institutional ills. Might as well do something. I mean, I don't I like my my uh, family's a lot more religious than I am. My brother's basically, I think he's going to be a priest, actually. Um, but, I, you know, I, the judgment aspect of things, I just don't see much use in it. Personally. Like, if everyone remembers me as a piece of shit, but, like, at least when I die, I know I fought to give people, like, I got people health care. I'll feel okay. <laughs> I'll feel pretty good, <laughs> I guess. Um, Liberia. Oh, my God, I said Libya. Yeah, you're you're 100% right, Stevie. Uh, thanks for that uh, correction. Liberia was the, the country where that went to fucking hell. Although Libya went to hell too. 
maybe we should do a man. I got to learn more about the world. I am really ignorant when it comes to uh, just U.S. interventionism and how like because you you talk man maybe maybe I'll try to do an episode on Libya one day. I just got to go read and figure shit out, but because that was nuts. But thank you all for coming. Um, <laughs> Hillary Buck naked Clinton did Libya. <laughs> Can we start fucking calling her Hillary Buck Naked Clinton? That is fucking perfect. Oh my god, that's funny. Yeah, maybe we should give these motherfucking war criminals some some motherfucking nicknames and shit. Cause they're just that's just a psycho to me. You know? I mean, I gotta be honest though, but if you were like actually running to me with like your just dick out with some fucking tuxedo shoes on, talk about magic, I would freak the fuck out immediately I, I i think i'd be more scared just with that coming towards me but then hillary's fucking cold ass but that's some wild shit anyway that's it uh that's the episode i spent way too much time here i'm i'm definitely pulling an all-nighter it's okay it was worth it i missed doing this uh always love spending time with y'all at the fred hampton in the suites uh general strike is possible remember the three steps I think to achieve it, uh, which we'll go over one more time very quickly. First, uh, we need to support ongoing strikes, ongoing labor efforts, and build the connections and networks to start that net of coordination that we're going to need for a general strike, right? So that's number one, support ongoing strikes, build those networks. Number two, we got to create infrastructure the infrastructure that can support a general strike. That means general strike funds, uh, groups that are meant to go out and support other strikes, et cetera. How do we create infrastructures, Joe Byron? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, look at the infrastructures that are already in place for smaller groups, start there, see how scalable they are. Uh, another option is if we could, if, if electoralism is going to be involved at all, uh, maybe we can get someone like Cornell West to commit to uh, whatever happens with this campaign. Uh, at the end, the infrastructure that he's built up for that campaign and the campaign finances that he still has will be used to uh, funnel into a, a, a general strike fund and organization so that you can keep the organizers intact and change what is a campaign focus to a mission focus. In fact, I think if we're gonna get involved in electoralism really at all, we should probably make all of our candidates take some kind of pledge like that. Uh, what Bernie should have done in 2020, right? That that should be, that's another way to create infrastructure. But that's step two. We gotta focus on creating the infrastructure that will be necessary to support a general strike. Uh, then number three, uh, if, if you're union eligible, try to, unionize your workplace. Try to figure out if you can. Uh, if you are not union eligible, try to figure out a way to organize people in your similar working and living position anyway. Uh, the more, I say this because we, we need widespread class consciousness. And the only way I really think a, a general strike will go down is with basically a network of 
like-minded and like-positioned people who each have basically little, like, their own contained uh, groups, right? A big sort of, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to do a general strike if it's a bunch of people who are all in their own individual unions who are coordinating together. Because then you have a lot of that solidarity built up. And to be frank, when we talk about like general strike infrastructure, I do not see a general strike happening without also more localized uh, mutual funds and more localized uh, general strike funds and the like also contributing, right? Because depending on where we're doing it geographically, depending on how spread out it is and, you know, all those details, uh, different groups of workers in different areas or whatever will need different kinds of, <coughs> excuse me, will need different kinds of support. So uh, local can become national. Uh, it's good to have, like infrastructure, I think a lot of the times is underrated uh, just because our infrastructure is used to do so much evil. <laughs> But the, the coordination of efforts is, is actually quite good. Uh, it's one of our superpowers as human beings, actually. Um, so those are the three ways that I think a general strike, we can make it happen. Again, supporting ongoing strikes and building the networks with ongoing unions and labor organizers so that we have that net of people. Uh, focus on creating the general strike infrastructure, the funding, the... Uh, support networks, and then uh, locally, if you're union eligible, and even if you're not trying to organize your workplace, uh, remember our leveraging power here is labor. That's what we got. It is under threat. That labor power itself is under threat. I don't want anyone to get like, you know, scared of technology taking our jobs I want people to be scared of how the capitalists are going to use that technology to take jobs. The technology itself is not necessarily like fucking evil or anything like that. But while we still have some leverage, we need to make these people realize that they're not going to get rid of us. That we're having a seat in the future of the society and we're going to do that while we have leverage. And if worse comes to worse, and they replace all of us, and we don't have leverage anymore, we figure out another way to have leverage. There's a lot of ways to lose a house. <laughs> As they say, there's a lot of ways to lose a house. And maybe that's not, you know, I'm joking, but mm, it just, mm, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what's happening. But either way, like, the goal is, uh, if your system is unjust, if it's hurting, destroying people and everything, you look, uh, fight to make it just. And not on some like Obama shit, like fight to reform the system. If, you know, use every bit of leverage and every tactic and every ability that we have to, uh, I guess, you know, like fight for the people who, uh, are being exploited in the same ways as you. Uh, so remember, you're all uh, very smart and sexy. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. You're all so good looking. That's right. You're the sexiest people I've ever seen. But for, for real, you guys, like, uh, don't think that you don't have the ability to do anything, to do something. Everyone does. Everyone does. Uh, you can find ways to contribute. And remember, it's not no one individual, one of us has to like ascend to godhood or something in order to make this happen. We always have numbers. We have the numbers. Ten of us work in shit. Let's go. A thousand of us dedicating, I don't know, an hour a week, shit, 20 minutes a week will be more than uh, what Elon Musk can do in a week. He can pay a lot of people, he can do a lot of shit, but eventually they can't outwork us, which is exactly why they need us in the first place. It's why they need you. It's your labor. So don't believe the hype if they say you're not powerful and shit like that. They're just fucking dumb. And they could suck my dick! Suck my motherfucking dick! Okay, that's that's the end. Um, glad we ended on that high note. Uh, I'm going to try to play this song out. Uh, we'll see if it works, but my speaker's dead. Uh, but the revolution is alive, baby. All right, thank you for coming to the Fred Hampton and Suites again. Take care.
just call him. Get off line, plug into this mother. No, you can't not call him. The rules are still voting on the Jews. We homes if we guard not strong. If you press the ear to the turf that is stolen, you can hear the sound of limitations exploding. Please, sir, may we have another portion with children of the beast that dies the abortion. That place firm between the floor and the portion. With your shit down, don't call it extortion. Caution, we're coming for your head. So call the feds and get five from strip. Every textbook read said, bring you the bread. But guess what we got you instead? All right, y'all. Take care.